In the following live session recording, Dwayne McCrary, project team leader with Lifeway Christian Resources, shares Saddle Up, Our Purpose. Knowing why we do something is important, and that is true with our Sunday schools. During this session, we will look at some of the whys over the years and develop an answer to the why behind Sunday School for today. Let's join Dwayne now. Will y'all let me tell you this story real quick? Sure. Because this tells you a little bit about uh, my story. Um, I accepted Christ when I was 16. I grew up in the church, um, but um, that didn't mean I knew who Christ was. I knew all the answers, all that kind of stuff. Uh, when I was a fifth grader, I made a vacation Bible school decision. There was a girl named Holly, had long blonde hair. She made a decision too, and I got to be baptized with Holly. Okay. But that didn't mean anything. When I was uh, a junior in high school, I broke my leg playing football. Um, and that made me ask some hard questions. And those que the, the big question was, is there something I can have in life that can't be taken away from me? Okay, so I started asking that. Our church had started using a brand new resource from Lifeway, and it was for students and adults, and it was called the Bible Book Series. It came out in the fall of 1978, and our church went all the way across with that resource. And so I didn't know what else to turn to, so I turned to the Gospel of Mark, because that's what we had just finished studying. And while studying that, I came to realize that um, I needed Christ. And then I'd have something that would never be taken away from me. So I made that commitment to Christ as a 16-year-old. Um, fast forward. Um, the last um, Sunday school book my dad had was the Gospel of Mark. It was said on his nightstand. He died five feet from where I accepted Christ. Also studied the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you can't begin to understand the peace that gives me. But here's what's interesting. I steward that resource now. I'm the one responsible for adult explore the Bible. And That gives me a different passion and understanding for what I do, okay? So I hope that comes through in what we say. Um, I've told that story multiple times. That's the best I've done telling it so far. I just want you to know. Um, so just know that. Um, during this time, we're going to think about the idea of the purpose behind Sunday school. A lot of people have different ideas, different thoughts. On this stand, I have four items, five items. I have, I have, and it's evangelical, by the way. Notice what it says on it. Chick-fil-A. And what would you define the purpose of each one of these items? Eat with. To eat with. To clean with. To clean with. Drink. To drink. You could scoop with this too. Cut. Cut. Well, you know, I'm 
Oh, we do not. Yeah. <laughs> not to stay off the fence. No, I was thinking. I was thinking the straw. I was like, how do you cut with a straw? I guess you just. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it makes your lot. Uh, it makes eating easier. All yes. those things. Makes eating, eating easier. easier. Okay. Everything you've done so far has kind of described what they do. Oh. Okay. Now let me ask you this question: What's the purpose of these things? To nourish your body. It, um, they function as a means to help you get the nourishment you need. Now, if you think about, oh, this is a fork. I eat with this fork. That sounds so utilitarian. But if you say this is an instrument I use to help me live, that changes how I view this thing. Okay? And you think about that in light of Sunday school. We're going to do this just for a second. This half, okay? Y'all are going to be the member group. This half, the teachers. If you were to ask the members of the people in your Sunday school that's at your church, why do we have Sunday school? What do you think they would answer? That's what you're going to think about. Over here, if you were asked the teachers in your church, why do we have Sunday school? What do you expect them to tell you? Or what do you think you might hear from them? Okay? Not, we're not evaluating it. We're just saying what do we think we'll hear from them? That makes sense? Because those are two different things. Okay? You'll make, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to talk to each other to kind of work through these things. So the folks on this side, you might want to kind of you know, stand up and go circle around and just talk about what you think you would hear from the teachers. And these folks here... Circle up and talk about what you think you would hear from the members why we have Sunday school. Y'all tell me some of the things that you think you might hear if you were to ask the members of your Sunday school, why do you, or why do we have Sunday school? What are some of the things you would hear, you think? This is where y'all tell me and I write stuff, okay, just so we'll Learn something that we didn't know before. You have to ask questions and hear other responses. Okay, I'm, when you say hear other responses, this is a... a do you mean hear other perspectives? Other perspectives. Okay. You know, yeah, from other in, the, in your group that's um, when you ask for it. Because that can mean different things to hear a response. That makes sense? And more intimate gathering of people that if you need to share a prayer request or if you need to be ministered to or minister to someone, it's easier than if you were in the worship service and you just got to say, hey, I got a problem. I've always wondered what would happen in worship if you were to say, pastor would stand up, pastors, what would happen in your church? You say, okay, now today we're going to just focus on prayer. We're going to start right here. You share with me one prayer request and you went all the way around, pew by pew by pew, um, what you would be told. Most folks are going to tell you like really surface stuff. 
because they're not going to admit to some of the needs in front of the larger group. And you're going to be there a while because there will be some people who will take the opportunity to explain everything about the surgery they're about to have and they just will. Okay? Y'all been there, y'all know. I just wondered what would happen if we did that in a worship setting, but we could do that in a smaller setting. Okay? What else might you hear from the members? Why we do Sunday school? Fellowship. I'm, I'm going to interpret that to mean this, be with believers. Is that fair? I'm, I'm with lost people all the time. I'd like to be with a believer every once in a while. If I work outside the home, whatever, then generally I'm with whoever, depending on my job. What else might you hear? Why? I know y'all talk more than that. Accountability and, and to encourage each other. For some, it just may be because that's what they've always done. It's had it. Keep going as a 50 year old. Yeah. Uh, some go because they want their kids to, to be morally straight. That makes sense? Um, for the kids' sake. For the kids' sake. Um, and then it's good for me for business. Okay? Um, I served one church where you had. It was a, it was a, it was the church in the county, and you could always tell when elections were about to start, because you'd have multiple candidates who would all of a sudden show up in worship, and they would sing loud. <laughs> Any other things to add to this list that you would think folks might say? Build relationships. Is that up there somewhere? Uh, fellowship. Fellowship. Okay, that's good. And, and encourage each other. That, those kind of go hand in hand. Um, th so does this. The, the more intimate way is sharing prayer requests. I've got a need. Can you help me? Um, uh, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to do it. It's the therapeutic element of a group experience that's in a smaller setting. There is therapy in it. To gain knowledge for for you know to have to live daily life. Yeah. To have a deeper to get a deeper you know, knowledge of what God wants out of us. You get more details with a small group than you could in in the sermon. Like you can you can instead where it's just okay this is a sermon it's you know this is how many minutes or hour or whatever we're going to go through and study this for the next so many weeks so we really can go in depth where we can't really do that with a bigger group deeper dive 
You, know, you, you brought the word death. That's always an interesting phrase because deep means different things to different people. Um, I hear that in my, my role. This wasn't deep enough. So I'll ask them, well, help me understand what would have made it deeper. I get two answers. One is if, if I'd have heard something I never had heard before. So it's a not... Their interpretation of deep is knowledge-based. Okay? Knowledge-based. Um, then the other approach is I got challenged to think a way I never had thought before. If you were to split them into which one's which, nine and one. Nine times out of ten, it's the, I want to know a fact I didn't know before. Okay? Versus, I, I want to reflect more on what I believe. You think about the danger of that. If it's always about gaining knowledge, but never reflecting on it. Um, I'll get off that box for a minute and move over. <laughs> teachers, what do you expect you would hear from teachers? What do you think the they would tell you? Some, Some of the same things? Yeah, fellowship was uh, in a small group was what was told to me um, by my... As a teacher? Well, see, I'm just about four years back into the church full-time, uh -huh. and when my Sunday school teacher was trying to get us to come, oh, come to Sunday school, and I like, well, and I didn't, I don't know that I asked why, but he said, oh, you know, it's just a small group, and we just fellowship, we'll get to know each other, we'll go out and eat, and, you know, or serve breakfast yeah. and that draws the people yeah. Yeah. Donuts. Food. Yes. Food. Coffee. Good coffee. Pilot coffee. Snacks. Yeah. Y'all travel. You know, you're on the highway. Pilot. That's the place to get coffee. <laughs> what else might you hear from teachers? Just to be able to provide, you know, more about God's word. Say that again. Equip. And by equip, let me, let me, you're talking about them being equipping, equipped or them equipping others. Well, you, you equip them to take on the characteristics of the Lord, the, the, the things that they're not practicing in their life. You know, show them the biblical application from the Scripture. You know, to familiarize and to equip them with the Word. And not only to just know the word, but to do the word. Walk the talk. Walk and talk the talk. I wasn't in the teacher's group, but I think that uh, when you go through preparation, you always get more out of it than the students do. That's a good one. Mm -hmm. That's what I, when I was a teacher, I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. It really forced me to dig in the Bible. Because you had to be ready I want to be for, for that question. And I don't know if, if y'all have had this experience when y'all have taught or not, but there's always that one person who's there for the purpose of making sure that they keep you on your toes. Okay? I've um, experienced teachers who are not necessarily teachers, but facilitators. 
to me that kind of class is fun because it, it tends to get everybody more involved mm -hmm. but you know but it's like I'm I'm the teacher I'm the youngest and I wasn't necessarily called to be the teacher I was like put on the spot mm -hmm. but since then you know like you said I get into the lessons and the more I know about the background of the people the places and everything and uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it but I have actually you know, uh, been in situations where there's supposed to be a teacher who actually tried to facilitate and have people to, you know, be a part of it. Do stuff. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes it's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I, uh, there's somebody who's in my class that I teach that dares me to make them do something on Sunday. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, you know. So do you always call their name out for scripture reading? Pretty much. <laughs> or Fred, because that's not their name. I was going to say Bob. Yeah. What do you think about this right here? <laughs> and they'll look at me like, <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Yeah. It can but, be challenging sometimes in, in, in the classroom with, with well, I have, um, third through fifth grade, but some of my fifth graders can be very challenging sometimes, and I have one that comes to church, but well, there's two of them. Their grandmother makes them come to church. She didn't come, they come on the church bus, and she makes them come, and they don't want to be there. So they disrupt the whole class the whole entire time, and it's sometimes... With the hope that they'll be kicked out. Yes, and I've, I've figured them out, like the first month I was teaching that class and that, I figured out why nobody they have a wine for being there they have a wine for being there, there at that point think but about now it. they're now they figured out that I'm they're not gonna run over me so they kind of come in the class and do what they're supposed to now but it can be challenging sometimes yeah, I was gonna say that coming from the teacher's perspective as you get into the younger uh, kid groups you know the teacher's perspective is can be uh, extremely different yes. uh, from those teaching older groups. I have um, one now that, that feels like she's doing more babysitting than she is teaching. Yeah. Agree. But, you know, I find, because we have a bus ministry too, we just started, and um, as a teacher of these little ones, I, what I want, they may never hear about Jesus anywhere. This is the only time, yeah. and I got to, I, you know, yes. I really got to, I got to get, it, I got to be good mm -hmm. at it. Uh, I, um, I started teaching preschool so I would be a better teacher of other ages. That makes sense. Yes, and it has made me a better adult teacher. I think more about attention spans. Uh, I think more about the active. I think about what's on the wall uh, much more than I did prior to that. Even though I knew that, it, I think of it in a different way. But I've also become more attuned to customizing what happens in the group. I had a, a young girl uh, in one of my pre-K. I used to teach pre-K 
I got moved down because they started asking me too hard a question. <laughs> but I had a young lady in there um, whose mom's boyfriend had tried to suffocate her. Okay? And she still remembered that experience and would talk about it. And when she, was, when she would start having flashbacks, she would begin to be a cat. Okay? So if I knew she was starting to be a cat, then I knew I needed to address her in a different way. The, the dad, or the boyfriend's name was David. The first Sunday she was in my class, oh man, we didn't know any of that. Okay? They're generally, they're not going to tell you the first day they come that that's the case. The grandparents brought them. We happened to be studying, of all things, David hiding in a cave from Saul. So we had this table in the corner with a cave, and we all went in there and hid from Saul. She wouldn't go in because David was in there, and David's the bad guy. Okay? So from that point on, we, were, we, we didn't know what was going on, but we got told afterwards. We never called David David from that point on as long as she was in the group. It was King David. That was okay because that was a different person than David. Okay? Um, thinking through how I customize what happens in a group time because of the needs of one individual person in the group. Uh, that happened in a preschool structure. That helps me better as an adult teacher too. That makes sense? And I, I was not afraid of teaching children students or adults but preschoolers scared me to death and I needed to do it for my own development as a teacher so I did that to develop myself okay no so I could be a better adult teacher but now if you were to ask me which one I would rather do I would rather teach children even though I love teaching adults okay um, I just would uh, don't tell my wife I said that though because okay? <laughs> she would she's the one that encouraged me to do both and it would just it's just best to not know that <laughs> erase that part of the tape um, <laughs> but here's the other piece of this I wrote right here made disciples mm -hmm. of the things we listed how many of those things relate to making disciples Does habit for the kids? Does that is that a is that relate to it or not? Y'all tell me. I think it might. We've Maybe got, we've got a bus ministry. We'll just do half. Those kids are saying, "Oh, I want those to come to get on the bus and stuff too." So they're they're reaching out to people, and we're afraid to ask. Learn something new or gain knowledge. Does that make disciples? In and of itself. No, not no, no. no. To ask questions. No. I mean, it's, it's a mindset. That, you know, being a disciple is a mindset of what you want to, you know, 
that you have to do uh, because Satan's full of knowledge about the Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, understand, you know, he he's seen the throne room of God. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he's not a disciple for, for the Lord. Uh, this one fascinates me because I hear this a lot. It's an opportunity for us to come and share perspectives or share each other's ideas. Not all ideas are equal. And that's one of the things you see in our world today. Um, we, if you want to define, we, I just was in a conference about this earlier. If you want to define what today's religion is in America, it's about me. Um, I can believe what I want to, and you can believe what you want to, but you need to accept what I believe, but I've got to accept what you believe. But that's okay, because that's how I find happiness for myself. All I got to do is look at high school students. I mean, I'll do what I'm every day. You know what I'm saying? But do you agree with that? That is the religion of, in, in America. It is about what I gain. I didn't get anything out of that worship service. Mm-hmm. Any of you ever heard that? Well, my question is, what did you give to it? Well, it wasn't about me. That's not what worship's about. It's Mm -hmm. about what, you know, this, uh, wait a minute. Worship has always been about what you give. That's why Jesus said, see this lady right here who just busted this stuff and and anointed my body? We'll still be talking about her 2,000 years from now because she worshiped me. She gave a year's worth of salary just to prepare my body to go to the cross, even though she didn't know that's what she was doing. That's about giving, okay? Um, you think about, <laughs> I, I got an email from somebody who their church is in big trouble. Bottom line is the pastor began to challenge folks to serve. They didn't want that. We want you to make us feel good about ourselves and what you're doing is making us guilty I know y'all have never heard that okay but you think about that I just want to hear I want to I want to make it so that I can affirm what everybody else thinks you see you see where that goes sometimes so is that about making disciples well, you can use it, you can figure out who isn't a disciple and use it to guide them. Yeah. But, we'll know. do half then. More intimate time, place to share prayer request. Maybe. Can I do half? Okay. Fellowship, be with believers. It all depends on what the conversation's about. Yeah, lot of, any of those topics. Yeah. It depends on it, you know, if it's being enforced and stressed that uh, that all of what we're doing here is to is to be able to carry out the words of the lost. You you think about some of these things. Help folks do the word, you learn more, equip, provide, fellowship. Um, You know what's not up here? What's missing? Evangelism. Evangelism's missing up here. Do you think the folks who are who we lead, either as Saint School Director, about to be Saint School Director, people in our groups, all our leaders, do you think they view what you do in Bible study groups as a as a means of reaching lost people? 
Because making disciples is too prone. You encourage those who are already believing. But to, the other half of making disciples is they start as a zero, which means they don't have any faith in Christ. And then you are an instrument that helps them understand who Christ is. And then they become a believer and you disciple them so that they start discipling other people. That's part of what it's about. So there's two prongs of it. You can't have just discipleship without evangelism. And you can't have evangelism without discipleship. Because if you, if you, do the, if you just have evangelism is, is what you're doing, compare it to having a, a, a child. You, you bring a new child into the world and then they're here, you're excited, you celebrate, and then you leave it to them to figure out how to eat and survive. That'd be abuse. But we do that to people in some ways in our churches. Take the opposite extreme. Think of how you would illustrate the idea of no evangelism and just discipleship. How might you illustrate that? Any ideas? How would you illustrate? Like I illustrated, with they have a baby. Yeah, right, right. And, and then you don't do it. You, you don't care for them after they're born. Right. All your goal was was to have a baby. Like helicopter parents, where they're with their kid all the time, and they don't give the kid any. You're just always there, feeding, 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 feeding. Yeah. So you're saying. Did, what would be an example of discipleship with no, with no, no evangelism. evangelism? That'd be just like handing a, the child the car keys and they you're going to drive without teaching them anything without about it. Training. Yeah. Without any training at all. Just kind of leave them on their own. Yeah. Um, well, the evangelism is going to teach how to disciple. And how to be a disciple. Right. And, you know, the best management practices, I guess. Yeah. Well, the other part of it is, is you just keep gaining and gaining and gaining. But if you're not exercising, that's not a good place to be. Okay? Um, you've got to act on that. Um, you think about the Dead Sea. One of the most fertile areas in the world is the Jordan River leading into the Dead Sea. But the Dead Sea is, there's nothing living in it. Because everything comes in, but it doesn't go out. So it catches not just the good stuff, but the bad stuff too. And it just hangs there. If there's no expression on the backside of it, then that's what you end up with. That makes the sense. The water in the well is only good if you draw it out yeah. and use it. So, you know, um, you, you see the issues with both of if you if you're not balanced. So uh, in other words, when you evangelize and you go out and get them, and if you don't disciple them and walk with them, they get lost. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, At least they don't grow and develop and mature in their spiritual life like they should if you don't help them. You know, the difference is between addition and multiplication. We add people. Think This is from a strategy standpoint within the church. We add people. So you have one person who's adding people. Okay? So they say they, say they add 20 people in a year. <coughs> They're aggressive. They add 20 people. You ex you're excited. You celebrate that they added 20 people. But suppose they added only five people. And as each person came to Christ, they then took that person and taught them how to live for Christ, 
and how to share with their lost friends about Christ. Okay? And each one of them gained five people. At the end of the year, you've got 40 people instead of 20. So the multiplication happens faster. Okay? That makes sense? And that's why we always think about the idea of multiplication of the church and not addition to the church. Because addition, you're always behind. Because the population rate is multiplying, not an adding. <coughs> That's been our theme about growing by uh, multiplying. And I, my little one, the little kids up to the fifth grade, they'll bring friends. They'll tell people, my adult classes, I can't hardly get them to bring any. I, I bet they haven't brought anybody new in in six months. Here's a, and you know what it turned into? It turned into a prayer request. Yeah. They were who they were praying for. No, and I, no, you got to pray for them to come, not to pray for their whatever. What you're doing is is you pray for that person. Yeah. So you don't have to talk to them. Uh, so I'm not guilty. I prayed for. I prayed that God would work in their life. So I'm off the hook. So I'm off the hook. That's what, I mean, being as honest, I know. Look on page 10 in the book you have, the Saddle Up book. You're wondering, are we ever going to do anything with this book? I know. Page 10. This is just a way for you to get us to come back. Yeah. <laughs> Look on page 10. You see that, that bold italics quote right there? It's from Robbie Gallaty. Read that silently to yourself. It says, um, very few people or companies, excuse me, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Wrong page. Page 12. Did I say what page did I say? 10? Uh, page 12. Ah. Page 12, you see the Robbie Gallaty quote. Right in the middle. Okay? When the church becomes. Read that silently, and then I'm going to ask you for your reaction to what you see in that paragraph. You agree or disagree with what you see in this paragraph? I agree. I agree. Explain to me what, why you would agree with that, if you agree. Well, I know just for myself, like I said, we're new back into the church here the last four years, and I always said that I was a Christian, but I had never been a disciple until now. Mm -hmm. But it's totally different. And I wasn't taught that. And I grew up in the church. Thank you for sharing that with us. We have had um, a session for a whole year where we read the Sunday School book and it was teaching us how to be disciples. We studied about the the 12 disciples. God was teaching them, and then at some point, He sent them out to teach us. We in the Sunday school class are supposed to be learning to be disciples, to where we can go out and we can maybe have one person that we disciple, 
hopefully, you know, it could be anybody, you know, family, friend, whatever. But first you have to be a friend. Have the discussion. The discipleship doesn't start right then. It's it's when that person um, has the interest. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have the person that has the interest, it's not going to go anywhere. Whereas, you know, like if you have a regular Sunday school class, that's just the lesson for the day. That's it. Next week, you have another lesson. But with discipleship, you have the first lesson. Then you have the second lesson that builds on the first and so on. And then at the end of a certain time, you should, the class should be equipped, at least in the knowledge on how to go about you know, doing to, that. to doing it. Multiplying it. Yes. Um, any other reactions to that, that quote by Robbie? I, uh, I think that it, it changes the, the, uh, the focal point. If, if we're concentrating on just the particular act of worship, it comes to a head and a point, and then he's talking about dying. When we flip that around, where worship is the beginning and yet going out makes it a broader, wider target that really is limitless. Yeah. That's that's what I believe he's saying. Yes. Yeah. It's growing. Continued growth. Continue yeah. you're changing your focus around in an opposite direction to reach more people. Like you're limiting change. your opportunity. Um based on that, think about what a disciple is. On page 13, you're going to see these three things that Jim Putman and Bobby uh, Harrington identify. Um, and he, they, they point to the, the passage, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So notice these things. First thing, follow me is about the head. This is their idea. Follow me is about our head. It's about us changing how we think. You think of a passage that comes to mind right off the bat when you think about we need to change how we think. Would Romans 12 fit that? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you've ever read any of Dallas Willard's um, book, it's a little, little deep at some points. But Dallas Willard's view is that we spend the, the part that sanctification is the reshaping of our mind, overcoming what was messed up prior to our conversion. Does that make sense? So we're rewiring how we think. And the purpose of us rewiring is not so that we can just be better, but that so that we can be prepared to reign with Christ in eternity. It's not just so I, I'm, I'm being sanctified. I'm being sanctified for a reason. And that reason is so that I can, I can be prepared for what I'm going to be asked to do in eternity. Because eternity is more than just sitting and playing harps on clouds. I know that's you know, contrary to some illustrations, but not all illustrations are, are accurate. So he, he has to say, follow me is about changing how you think. I will make you is about the heart. Uh, I, I wrote down two passages here for me, Ezekiel 36 and Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8.10 is actually a quote of the Ezekiel 36. It talks about, uh, I'll give you a new heart. Um new affections, new desires. Um, you think back to
to what your affections and desires were prior to your salvation experience and what they are now and how those are different. I'm hoping they're different. Okay? Um, for me, everything changed. Okay, why I did stuff was completely different. Um, it's a change in our heart. I will make you. And then, fishers of men is about hands. I think of Ephesians 2.10. We are His workmanship, created for good works. There's things that we are called upon to do to bring God glory and honor and that give us the opportunity to share Christ with others. I, I mentioned my dad's passing. Um, and I'll share this some to, in tomorrow afternoon's presentation. That's a shameless plug, I know. But tomorrow afternoon, um, that presentation about history, lessons from the past that help us today, um, I carry a list of names of people I'm praying for who have told me they are not believers. Okay? It's not that I, well, I wonder if they're a believer or not. I've had a conversation, and they've told me they're not believers. I carry a list. And I pray for that list every morning. Okay, so at least once a day, maybe twice, maybe three times, I pray for that list. And I, my prayer is for an opportunity to share again with them. It's not, I sure hope, they, it's I'm asking for another opportunity. After my father's death, uh, I've had the opportunity within a month to share with four of those seven and my wife shared with a fifth one okay um, I see purpose in my father's death because of that but I have to be hands looking for those opportunities does that make sense yeah. so you see that those three elements here um, as a an idea of what it means for us to be disciples now there are principles tied with those. There are principles tied with those. Um, let's look at these principles that are on page 18, 19, and 20. Here's what I ask you to do. Here's team one. Team two. Team three. Team four. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you as a team to determine, looking at those six things, I want you to force rank them. These are principles. And here's what I'm going to ask you to force rank them as. Which one is more important to implement first? Which principle, let me put it, put it this way, which one should you act upon first? Then second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. There's six principles. So you need to think through Oh, this is the one that's, that's got to be acted on first. This one's second, this one's third, this one's fourth, this one's fifth, this one's sixth. I'm not saying one or the other is not important. I'm saying which one needs to be acted on first. You follow that? Mm -hmm. You got three minutes with your team to try to come up with, well, let's do, let's do six minutes. Yeah, we got six minutes. Got six minutes to try to figure out which one you're going to rate as the one you need to implement first, second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. These six principles. Yep, page eight, 18, 19, there's a sixth one on page 20. And I know that makes y'all four. I didn't mean to leave you out back there. 
You'll have to talk to each other to do this. Okay, would someone want to make an argument for what you think would be the first one on the list? You said it. Proximity. Well, no, I just said you gotta, you yeah. gotta, you gotta have people gotta be in the same area so they can get together. I mean, that that might not be the way to think about it, but if you gotta have people in a small group, they gotta be where they can gather. Proximity, uh, face to face, um, those type of things. Um, here's an interesting statistic for you. You have this idea in America that everybody has social media. Either Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever else. Okay? Do you know what percentage of people in the United States have an account, just one, in any one of those? I have no idea. 30%. 30%. So that would mean 70% do not have a Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. So it's not as it's not really the majority even talking. Mm -hmm. I'm in that setting. You see? And there are folks, uh, my daughter-in-law, she was, she had one because she had teachers, uh, professors would put assignments on the private Facebook page or whatever, and as soon as she graduated, boom, she took everything down. Because it, she just, I don't need that, it's just in my way. Um, during the summer months, I see where everybody's traveling and I'm not. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't care what you did at Disney. Because I wasn't with you. <laughs> now, if I'd have been there, that'd be different. But I don't want to know. Okay? So, um, I think that idea of proximity, too, for me is, is that, uh, you know, they, of course, use the illustration of a baby and holding it close. You know, with a baby, you don't just, you don't just, you don't just hold that baby, uh, you know, for for one hour, you know, during the week. Uh, or you don't just look at it once a week and say, oh, you're looking good, you know. You've really got to spend constant time with that baby. And so, to me, the proximity is, you know, what you put up about relationships, you, you normally have a real relationships with people you got to spend significant amount of time with them and and you can't do that just in one hour on Bible study on Sunday morning or certainly can't do it in a worship setting see what I call it is you gotta you gotta actually do some life together yeah you gotta walk together and, and, uh, and that takes time but we can't do that with a lot of people at once because we don't we don't have so many hours in the day so, so saying that, would smaller be the next thing here? Small groups? Small, no, very small groups. Very small. Does anybody have a maximum of a in your church? Y'all have this is the largest number that our group could be. Yeah, we do. Our, our D groups, we have a leader with no more than four other Okay, so leader with four in a D group. What about in your Sunday school, in your Bible study groups? We, we got those all over the Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, 
um, at the Southern Baptist Convention, not this year, but last year, there was a minister of education who was talking to me. He's having trouble getting Sunday school teachers. His smallest class, think about this, his smallest class is 80. Okay, now this is a large church. His smallest class is 80. So you're asking someone to step in and be in front of 80 people on day one. Why do you think you're having trouble getting folks to teach that? I don't want to teach 80 people every week. Okay? But if 10, 15, I'm good with that. I can do that or less. My class, we average nine. My, you, you, can't, you can't get them to teach anyway if they're a small group. It's like they want to stay there in that class forever and ever and ever and can never step out. We'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> um, you gotta come back. The uh, research says you as an individual can only keep up with 21 people. And by keep up, that means no, no birthday and where they are right now. Um, my wife is working right now. I know that because I know what time it is. Um, my daughter is with my mom right now. She's having great grandmother time. And I sure hope mom's not messing with them enough where they forget me. Um, uh, my son is at work right now. My daughter-in-law is off of work. My son-in-law gets off at four, no, at three, because this is Friday. So he's still at work, but he's about to get off. Okay, so that's five people right there that I've already taken out of that 21 that I can keep up with. Um, I have a best friend that he and I talk every week. I'm at six. You see where this is going with how many I can really manage in a group? Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. as the teacher. Um, I made a commitment. I used to teach a class at the church where I go now. I used to teach a class of 45. Mm -hmm. Now, they loved it because it was a great presentation. But I was frustrated because I wasn't able to tailor what I was doing to them. So, recruited somebody. They, be, they became the teacher of that class. I took somebody, a couple out, and we went and started another class. Um, then that class grew to a point of 20. So, we did the same thing with that class. Started another one. The class I teach now is actually the fourth class out of that original group. Okay? And that's in eight years. So every two years, well, some, one of them was quicker. One of them was in 12 months. It was time to start a new group. But the others have been, so now this class right now, I'm a little frustrated because I haven't been able to do that. I haven't been able to get to that point. I'm hopeful that by, by May, that will not be the case. But there's something that's happening in our group that makes it hard for anybody else to break in to the group. So it's kind of at this point. We had somebody who had to have a, a liver, excuse me, kidney transplant. We all rallied around them. Now, everybody who comes in with the group can't catch up emotionally with where we were with that person. So it's open, but it's functionally closed because of that experience. Does that make sense? But for me to leave it and go start another group would be irresponsible because they're not ready to do that. You follow that? So it's, I keep asking God, please. But, so this number is important. 
12. So I've seen low as numbers low as 12 and numbers around 17 to 18. Okay. Once that hits, time to start another group for that age group because it's it's it it works against discipleship at that point, and it also works against evangelism. Because a group of 20, if you got two or three people gone, or they a guest, you really don't notice them. You don't have any idea they're there because it's that you get lost in the number of 20. You just do, and so it works against you as far as making disciples because it's two throngs. Remember, number one, it's leading them to Christ and then developing them. So it works against both of those things. What would you put as next? Number four, making disciples. So you replicate. The reason replicate is there instead of duplicate. This is subtle. Duplicate means you make one exactly like you. Replicate means they have character traits that are of yours, but they have individuality in it too. It's a different thing. So you replicate where it's about practices and principles as opposed to you do it exactly the way I do it. What would you put next? I have a question. Okay. Why would you put four before three? What's three? Um, growing disciples and God's... At God's reading, reading daily? Yeah. yeah. I don't. Y'all tell me. I, I'm just telling what y'all say. That's number three as well. The number three. The growing disciples of God's word daily. And we we put the the disciples further down because you you have to have them be disciples before they can make disciples. You see Brad Wagner's book mentioned Shape of Faith to Come. It gives a brief statement about this, but here's what the research shows. If you take all the spiritual disciplines, fasting, I always thought it was feasting, but it's, there's no E in it. I'm hoping that maybe when we get to heaven it's changed from fit fasting to feasting. Um, a prayer, service, evangelism, whatever, what, you know, name the discipline. And Bible intake is, one, is another discipline. If someone's praying, they're only praying then the other items are probably not going to be done. If they're only attending worship, the others will probably not be done. However, if they're reading the Bible daily, they're engaging in the Bible daily, about the numbers are around 80%, we'll be doing the other disciplines. Isn't that interesting? If Say it one more time. If they're doing daily Bible study, they're engaging in the Bible daily then there's an 80% chance that they're, they're doing the other disciplines on some level. Prayer, fasting, serving, something. Okay? And I'm not meaning by a casual, okay, I've done it. I'm, but what does this mean for me today? Um, a thought question from it, something like that. Okay? Engaging is the word. It's not just reading it. It's engaging in it. That makes sense. Yeah, if that's what our, our pastor is trying to teach. If they're doing that, read the Bible and ask questions. If you're doing that, then the other things seem to take place. 
I mean, so, you know, if you, if you wanted to find out, well, how many are fasting? First find out how many are reading the Bible daily and you can predict how many are fasting. You can't do it the other way around. Do you follow me? That makes sense? Yes. So th that's, this is a bigger thing than we think it is. What else? We've got five, four of them up here. What's the other two? Greater accountability. And starting places or preferences. That's about how you approach the Bible. Some people like doing it. Here's a, here's a, um, we're just going to take the, the Bible passage and see how it intersects our life. Versus some people like, here's, here's needs. Now where in the Bible does it address that need? Both of them are valid. Both of them are valid. It's just different ways to look at it. And there are preferences. I think this is probably on this list, probably the right place. I can't decide which one of these should be first. And I've done this exercise that we're doing right now with several groups. No one has given me the exact same list. Can one of y'all help me at that point so I can figure it out? But it's always different. And it always seems to deal with where you are in your life. Okay? There's a part of me that thinks this might be most important, but I can't quite decide that yet because you can't influence somebody to do this if you're not here with them. You follow that? So, but you got to be reading to even be want to be that. Yeah, I, so, <laughs> you know, the good thing about it is there's no right or wrong in this, this, this discussion, but it does help me think about what is the most needed thing. And if I'm looking at, here's what our Sunday school does or is doing or not doing, what do I need to prioritize? Because I can only do so many things at one time. What focus do I need to have for us to do this this next year or five years from now? And I define, oh, we really need, we need to elevate this, for example. This one. If, it's, if, you, if smaller groups is number one and your smallest group is 80, Bless their heart. Now I understand that there's a reason why church members like 80. Because nobody asks them anything. Because yeah. there's no way to manage it. The larger a group is, the more likely that group is going to be lecture-based. And the more lecture, the less engagement. Where you're going to... If you do it right, if you lecture right, you'll only leave time for one question at the end and it'll be a softball question and you'll already have told somebody the question to ask. Not that I've ever done that. <laughs> but that's how it works. If you do it right, there's no time at the end. And everybody, oh, that was so good. And you go back and you study all you can and you come back and they don't do anything because there's no expectation. The expectation is just for them to sit there and listen and soak it. And they don't even have to think about what you say because they know you're not going to ask a question because there's no time to. And you just keep that cycle going and nothing happens, but you feel good about it. Um, 
We've done all these things, shared about these things. Look on page 10 of the book. Look on page 10. It says, the purpose of our Sunday school is... Now, I won't, I'm going to ask you to do this, and I'm not going to ask you to share this with the group. Okay, I promise you. I'm not going to ask you to share this with the group. But based on our conversation we just had, I want you to think of a couple of minutes, think for a couple of minutes, how you would answer that question now. The purpose of our Sunday school is, and I'm not going to ask you to share with us, okay? Hope you have time to reflect more on that question. And here's why the, how you answer that is, is important. How you answer that will determine how you evaluate the success or failure of the Sunday School ministry that you give leadership to. Okay? It'll also impact what you track. It'll impact what you track. And you need to think about this, lag and lead measures. Um, a lag measure would be something like we had this number of baptisms. Our goal is to have 20 baptisms. That's a lag measure. Because to get to 20, you've got to have done some other things beforehand. Okay? Now, I know that if you enroll people in, a, in Sunday school or Bible school, whatever you want to call it, I don't care what you call it. If you enroll people in your ongoing Bible study ministry and they're lost or unchurched, typically one out of three will become a believer within 18 months. Okay? If you enroll, now it's not just we enrolled them, we enrolled them and did something with them. We invited them, we got them there, we made sure they had stuff in their hands so they could study because they're not going to be there every Sunday, but they can at least keep up by having a Sunday school book in their hand. You may have to deliver it. One of the things I do, with not with my little ones, that's a whole different thing, but with the 50-year-old group, um, this will happen not this weekend, but next weekend. Uh, on Sunday afternoon, I will deliver their books to their houses. So they know four times a year I'm coming to their house. Now, some of them look forward to it. Some of them, I know they're not going to be there. Okay? But four times a year, I go to their house, and I deliver their books to them. Because at least they know, and they, I put my cell number on it. Here, you call me. That way they know I at least came by. Okay, um, and I've got one couple in my group that has. I've been teaching this group three years, and they have. I have yet to see them in church one Sunday. Could you repeat that statistic? One in that? three. One in three. In how long? In eighteen months. Wow. Um, let me see if I can remember this number. Church in Las Vegas. Now, I can't remember the name of the church, but a minister, they're, they're, they're a pastor of groups. They, did, they looked at people whose first contact with their church was worship and people whose first contact with their church was a Bible study group. Okay? So you got people who came into their ministry through their worship service. Of those who came in through their worship service within, a, I don't remember the time frame, a year, one out of 243 became a believer. Those who came through their church through a Bible study group, it was, it was the same number, one in three. Same time period, 
So they've decided to invest a lot more heavily in what they do in their small their Bible study groups because it's a greater return. It doesn't mean their Sunday their Bible their worship services are going to be suffering, but it does mean when they make priority decisions, they know if they want to reach people, they better invest in this. Because their statistics show even in Las Vegas that's true. Okay? Even in Las Vegas, Nevada. But you'll evaluate what's there. Lag and lag, a lag and lead. We want to baptize this number of people. Well, if you're going to baptize them, you're going to have to either enroll this number of people or you're going to have to share the gospel with this number of people. A stronger thing to, to, to evaluate is not how many you baptize, but how many people you talk to about Christ. That make sense? Because you can't control whether they're baptized or not. You can control the number of people you talk to about Christ. So it's a stronger thing to monitor this number than this number. This number take care of itself. If you're talking about Jesus with 20 people in a year, you will have somebody that will accept Christ. That makes sense? You just will. So you were going to ask a question. Yeah, I would, would I would assume that it would be reasonable to expect that the number of people retained attending services, attending Sunday school post-baptism would also increase because our church is experiencing a large number of baptisms but not always a large number of return you know, following baptism. They drop off the radar. If you took Sunday, and, and if, you wanna, if you need to go, go ahead and go. I understand. If, but if you took Sunday, I, I didn't look at these numbers, so I'm going to speak from the back of my head. Okay? So I'm just giving you that, that caveat. This is Friday. This coming Sunday. So you have this many people in worship, this many people in Sunday school. An average Baptist church right now, 150 in, in worship, 100 in Sunday school. Okay? So 50 who are not in Sunday school but are in worship. You follow that? Mm -hmm. So you have that number of people, those specific names. If you go back to that church five years from now, research says, I've seen this done in multiple, at least three different studies. Research would say that those who are in a Bible study group and worship five years from now, 82% of them will still be there. So 82 out of the 100 will still be there. Those who are only in worship, eight of those, because it's 16%. So you had, you had 50, so only eight of those will still be there five years from now. So that means you went from 150 to 90 of those people. But 82 of them are made up of those who are in a Bible study group. That make sense? So the retention is much higher. Giving is even more significant. The, quotient, the, the, the ratio is one to six. Whatever, if, if the people who attend only worship give a dollar, the people who attend Bible study will give six. Okay, that makes sense? Yeah. So think about the economics of that. So $3,000 is what you, you get on a, at that point. Five years later, that same number would be $2,000. Because of how it, it all flows. I've done the math. I've seen it. Um, because the, the one to six. 
if you just change that to 150 and 125. If you can just get 25 of those 50 in a Bible study group, then it's, you're over 100 who would be there five years from now. And the giving has only been impacted by $500 negative. So you have to make up less uh, loss five years from now. That make sense? So that's why it's so important. One of the interesting things, this is a side note, is Tony Evans' church was built around worship in South Dallas. It was built around worship. They began to see their back doors open more bigger than their front door. So in recent year, in the past five years, they've instituted a Bible study ministry and they've closed their back door. But they didn't build any, they don't have any space that they built. Because they, they don't, if you've ever been on their campus, there's no place for them to do it. So they've had to go, they've had to do off campus, and they bought a school and they've tried to remodel that. Um, but they're not there yet. So but they know that that has changed their back door of people. We baptize them and then they go, they leave. Because there's no way for them to get connected to people in a large church. Can I? Yes, ma'am. You gave some statistics about those who in Bible study and Sunday school five years from now, they're still in Yes. But those who were in just worship, you said, uh -huh. five years from now, what percentage of? 16 versus 82. Okay. This is worship only. This is worship and Bible study. Okay. That's a five-year trend. That's a, if you're a businessman, that's a significant number. Yeah. Yeah. That's a scary number. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Hope that's helpful. Thanks for asking that question. You bet.